Philippians 3. Philippians chapter number 3. We covered verses 1 through 7 last week. I'm going to reread a few of the verses, and we're going to press on into verse number 10. If you're visiting with us, once again, welcome. Uh, we have been working through the book of Philippians now uh, for a few months and have just been kind of verse by verse chewing through this book of the Bible. And it's been so rewarding. And here we find ourselves just right at the midway point of this book. And so let's begin in verse number 4. And we'll read down through verse number 10. Paul says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any of the man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. This morning, I don't want to be all heat and no light, but I must admit before we begin this morning that I will be mostly heat and a little bit light. And next week will be more light than heat. But what I mean by that is I really want to give you the heart behind this passage. I'll, I'll, we'll look in a bit more of a cerebral way next week and, and get a few of the nuances and exactly what this means or that means or those sorts of things. But this morning, I really just want to give you the heart of what Paul is saying here in this passage. And it is absolutely beautiful if you can grab onto what he's trying to get after and trying to encourage you to do as a Christian. Well, before we begin, let me just say this. If you're like most people you get a little bit bogged down in your Christian walk. And you can at times feel as though there's so much to learn and there's so far to go that I, I feel as though I'm never going to learn it all. I'm never going to get there. Or perhaps you feel as though there's so much I should have learned and there's so far I should have come and I don't feel like I'm as far as I thought that I would be by this point in time in my spiritual walk. And these verses do such a powerful and beautiful job of simplifying the Christian life and allowing us to come back to what matters most. Paul does a crystal clear job here of spelling out here how to enter into Christianity. He also does a very clear job of spelling out what we should do once we are a Christian. And it's not complicated, it's so simple, but it's something that we oftentimes overlook and begin to become fixated on other things. And I have two thoughts for you this morning. The two thoughts are very similar to each other, but they're, they're very simple thoughts. The first thought is this, it's not rules, it's relationship. This is what he says in verse 4, and we'll review these quickly. If you want greater detail on these verses, you can listen to last week's sermon online or something. But here's what he says in verse number 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man think that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. 
Paul says, you want to play a game where you want to, you know, compare, compare religious resumes and who's, who's goody two-shoes and who's not. You want to play that game? I'll play that game with you. I can beat you at that game. Let me tell you about myself. I was circumcised the eighth day. I was in this from day eight, from the get-go. I'm of the stock of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Touching the law, I'm a Pharisee. I'm the, I'm the guy who kept all the law stringently. Like I just kept every single granular part of the law that I could possibly have. I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. This was real to me. This, this was tangible. I was so guarded against the things of the Lord that I was willing to kill people over it. I, this was passion for me, uh, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I kept this to the best of my ability. Now, that is kind of Old Testament Judaism religious resume. We would maybe say something like this in our re- religious resume. Hey, my parents dedicated me as a baby. I never missed Sunday school. I was baptized. I read my Bible and pray every day. I've never said a curse word other than the invented Christian curse word. You know, I hit my finger in Jiminy Crickets, but I never said a real curse word. That's, I never did that. I was a leader in the youth group. I memorized the most verses. I got Awana badges for days. I, you know, you go on and on and on for all of these things that we have done religiously. And Paul says, you take that stuff. That's where I used to put my stock. It's where I used to put my confidence. It's where I used to, to boast and to brag in. And on the ledger of life, it was gain to me. I thought it was profitable. I thought it was gain. But I realized that, it, that it's lost now. I've wiped it all out. And I've said, forget that. I don't really care about those rules any longer. I want Jesus. It's lost to me so that I can win Jesus Christ. And let me just bottom shelf it for you here, what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, clean up your life and miss Jesus and you lose. Live a spick and span, clean little moral, follow all your rules life. And to be clear, I'm not saying there aren't do's and don'ts in Christianity, that there are no morals, there, there absolutely are. But Paul is saying live your spick and span life and have your list of rules that you check off and don't have Jesus. Who cares? I, I've counted all this law so that I can have Jesus, so that I can have relationship with him. I don't make those things my goal anymore. My goal is him, and through him I will live a holy and a dedicated life, but my goal is absolutely him. And then he says, verse number eight, yea, doubtless. What does yea, doubtless mean? Paul says, I'm doubling down on verse seven. Yes, no doubt about it. Let me tell you what I just said in greater detail. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul says, not just the things that I listed, my, my religious resume, but I count all things but lost. You can put anything you want to in the blank, anything that you find your identity in, anything that you are using to make yourself feel special or, or that you think will, will give you a leg up in life religiously, all of that, I don't rely on any of it anymore. I've said goodbye to that. I'm not shopping my identity horizontally. I don't want to be known as the smart person or the funny person or the rich person or, or the healthy person. I want it to be found vertically. I want to know him. I count everything but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus who is my Lord. Paul saying there is excellency. There is surpassing greatness in knowing Jesus who is the Christ and who is my Lord. There is surpassing greatness to know him. And I don't care about the the list of rules. I'm going to follow some things because I do love him and I want him. But what I'm really after, the core of, of who I am, is I want to know him. 
anything you have that, that you want to compare to Jesus, it doesn't hold a candle to him. It doesn't compare to him. I want him. I understand that knowing him outshines it all. I understand that pursuing him is really where it's at, that my Christian life is not just a matter of ethics and rules, but my Christian walk is really a matter of relationship, and it's a matter of knowing him and pursuing him and wanting him and craving him, and I want to know him, and it's excellent. There is surpassing greatness. Take all that stuff that I pursued, and I spent so much time and so much energy, and and it was my life. It's what everything revolved around, but now it revolves around wanting to know Jesus. And then he says this, the end of verse 8, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him. He says, this isn't just theory to me. I'm not hypothesizing and telling you that this potentially would be better. I'm telling you I have suffered the loss of all things. I put so much stock in my Judaism and in my upbringing and in my pedigree, and I've walked away from it all. Now when I go to Jerusalem, and I was a Pharisee, and my daddy was a Pharisee, and now I see all the old Pharisee buddies, and they don't want to get a cup of coffee with me anymore. Now they want to arrest me, and now they want me dead. Everything that I had put confidence in, now it's done a 180 and it's gone and I count it loss and I'm okay with that. I don't need that really. I, I will gladly suffer the loss because I have Jesus. It's all, he uses the word dung. It's a very strong word. It's rubbish. It's, it's excrement. It's just, I don't need it. You couldn't get more clear that this is just, who cares? That is now, I stiff arm it to the side and now I'm done and I've, I want Jesus. There's not Paul saying there's no morals, there's no rules in life, but he is saying, I want Jesus. I want to win him. I want to be found in him. I've walked down the road of rules and I've traced every path to its inevitable end. Every fork in the road, I explored every path, everything you could find, and it was all a dead end. It it didn't lead anywhere, and now I have found Jesus, and my religious rituals do not occupy center stage any longer. Now I am fixated, all eyes on Jesus. This is who I want. I want to know him. I want to feel him. If you have ever felt love for, for me, girls, for maybe your girl guys, but you felt this relationship that you wanted to enter into, perhaps you were married or you are married, or perhaps there was a really deep relationship that didn't materialize into marriage, but you, you get this. I personally was your typical, you know, high schooler, red-blooded American male that, that wanted to talk to and flirt with, you know, every girl possible probably. I got to college and honestly that really took a radical shift. I began to focus on my walk with the Lord. I really began to just enjoy a lot of guy friendships and, and hanging out with the guys and my college years were filled with very little dating and relationships, just very little. If you were to look at kind of middle of my freshman year all the way to my senior year, my, you know, relationship life was just DOA. Like it was, there was non-existent practically. It was maybe a little date here or there, but there just was, was not much there. And I was really okay with it. I had begun to even pray, Lord, do you want me to be single for my whole life? Like, I'll be cool with this, and I'll just go, you know, be a missionary and be martyred at age 25 or something. Like, I'm fine with this, whatever. Like, I really, that was sincere in my heart. Looking at 1 Corinthians 7, like, I was really cool with not having a relationship. And then I met Maggie Rule. 
and she ruined me for the better. All of a sudden, the, the guy friendships and the bromances didn't compare to this girl that I had met. All of a sudden, I found myself thinking, I know that single Mark never had to buy birthday cards or Valentine's Day gifts or Christmas presents, or, and it, I saved a lot of money that way, but I will gladly spend money on this girl because I want to know her. I found myself thinking, single Mark has way more free time and, and I, it doesn't cost me as much money because I don't have to reload minutes on my phone. Remember when you had to buy minutes like they weren't unlimited and you had to count them? You know, I don't have to you know, get more minutes to call her and to, and to have a relationship with her, but it, this is so worth the sacrifice. This doesn't even feel like a sacrifice. I will gladly buy a million more minutes. I will gladly give up some of my free time. No problem. My grades took a little bit of a hit, not a lot, but a little bit of a hit. All of a sudden, ball wasn't nearly as important to me, but I was happy with that because Maggie was on my mind and I was okay to not have things be as pressing on my mind. And then it got to the point where I wanted to marry her. It got to the point where I said, I'm out for good, boys. Like this is, it's over. I'm kissing singleness goodbye. I will gladly pledge and vow off all other women in the history of the planet I will, I will be done with all of them. Who cares so that I can know her, so that I can have her, so that I can win her? And that was an easy step for me to say, I want to know you, I want to marry you and be done with everything else. I didn't want marriage. I don't want to marry marriage. I wanted to marry her. I wanted to know her. And there was something special about her. There still is, by the way, not just past tense, but, but currently still is. There was something special about her that made it easy to do away with the singleness or the autonomy that I loved or whatever else it was just to say, I'm done with it. And this really is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I will discard all of this stuff gladly so that I can know him, so that I can have a relationship with him, so that I can pursue him, so, so that I can walk and talk with him. I will gladly say goodbye to all of it so I can have and know and win and be in Jesus. And then Paul says this, and similar, but not exactly the same. He says, it's not performance, it's a person. Verse number nine, he circles back to the idea of entering into relationship with Jesus. And he says this, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is of faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. He says, I I've tried following the religious code way. I've tried just be righteous and just be a good person way. And I did the best that anyone could have ever done at that, but it didn't work and it won't work and it can't work. It's not just my own righteousness, which I find by following a list of rules. That won't work. The righteousness that I need and want and desire is found through faith in Jesus Christ. It's of God by faith. I've found that I don't need to keep the list of rules. All I needed to do was put my faith in Jesus, that I was trying to earn right standing with God. I was trying to do it myself. I was trying to do this or not do this so that God would be pleased with me and happy with me and I could somehow be on good footing with him. But I've learned that I can't do that. It's impossible. It's faith in Jesus. Jesus took my sin, paid for my sin, died for my sin, was buried and rose again, and now my faith is in him and him alone, and he has given me righteousness. I do have righteousness now, but not because of what I do or of what I've done. I have righteousness now that's from God, gifted to me because of my faith in Jesus. And don't make the mistake of thinking that good people go to heaven. 
Goodness is not the prerequisite for entrance into heaven. Perfection is, and you're you're not that. Only Jesus was perfect, and He took our sins to give us His righteousness so that we can come to Him, have forgiveness of sins, even have heaven as our home through faith in Him, not by our deeds and not by what we do. And Paul says, I've received right standing with God now because of my faith in Him. And he segues perfectly, beautifully, right into verse number 10, that I may know Him. All of this, I've come to faith in him, and I thank him for his righteousness, and I now have right standing, but now I want to know him. It's not just, I got a passport to heaven, and now I'm good about it all. No, I I have forgiveness, and my sins are cleansed, and I do have a passport to heaven, so to speak, but now I want to know him. He's satisfying, and I want an intimate relationship with him. I want to push into him. I want to pursue him. And you find in this passage that Paul has a deep understanding of what it means to be right with God, what it means to have peace with God, that it is strictly through faith in Jesus Christ. And you also find that he has a deep understanding of what it means to live and walk the Christian life that is pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you see in Paul a yearning, a passion, a fervor, to know Jesus and to want more of him. But follow with me here. This is not just a unique Pauline thing. This is not just that Paul's an isolated weirdo and no one else was like this in Scripture. You find that this is very common in Scripture. Look at Psalm 63 with me. It's in your lesson or you can look in your tap or turn your way there. But Psalm 63. This is David writing. And David says in, in a... He flushes it out a bit more. It's a bit more poetic, but he says essentially the same thing that I want and I have intense desire and passion to know my Lord greater. I want more of him. This is what he says, Psalm 63, verse number one. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. You see the desire there? You see the intensity there, the the passion that he has there? Verse 2, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied. On the inside, the inner man is going to be satisfied. I'm going to find some sustenance there. As with morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. It's not just that I can pillow my head and I have peace with God and I'm thankful that eternity is going to be squared away, but I pillow my head and I long for God and I want God and I think about God and I meditate on Him and and I, I, I I want that to ruminate my heart and in my mind in the night watches because Thou hast been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of Thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after Thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. Do you see his tenacity, his pursuit, his pushing into, his longing for, his craving of more of God? You find that all through Scripture, it's a normal occurrence to find men and women of faith who wanted more of Jesus, who wanted more of God, who wanted to know him in a greater way. And you find that men and women of history who were Christians were that way. I love to read dead missionary biographies or stories or dead theologians, and oftentimes what you find is that they're men and women who, who wanted to know God. 
I won't bore you with a bunch of them, but I'll give you a couple. Spurgeon said it this way. He said, I thank thee, talking to God. That which is a necessity of my new life is also my greatest delight. So I do at this hour feed upon thee. Spurgeon says, I can't do this Christian thing without knowing God. So it's a necessity, but I also understand that this necessity is a great delight. So I'm feasting on this. It's like saying, I know I can't live without food, but I actually really like food, so it's no problem to eat food. I'm going to really enjoy food. Spurgeon's saying, I can't do this without Jesus, but I really enjoy Jesus, and it is awesome, so I'm just going to feast on Jesus. This is what John Owen said, speaking of his, his walk and relationship with the Lord. He said, herein would I live. Herein would I die. Hereon would I dwell in my thoughts and my affections to the withering and consumption of all the painted beauties of this world unto the crucifying of all things here below, until they become unto me a dead and deformed thing, no way meet for affectionate embraces. He says, I want to dwell on and feast on Jesus until everything that the world has to offer just grows dead and dim to me, and I don't want it anymore. I just solely and completely want him. Now, here's the question. If men and women of Scripture had this deep, passionate desire to know more of God and to pursue Him. And if men and women of history had a deep, passionate desire to know more of God and to pursue Him, why is this so uncommon? That's the question. If this was normative in Scripture and throughout history for people to want more of Jesus, why is it that most American Christians would testify something to the fact of, I don't see a lot of yearning? I'll even make it personal. Why is it that I don't see a lot of passionate pursuit in my own life sometimes? Why is it that I'm far too easily satisfied with my relationship with Jesus and where I'm at spiritually? Why don't we long? Why don't we pursue? Why isn't there intensity and tenacity and, and a fervor about knowing more of God and, at all costs, wanting to find more of Him? Why are we so easily satisfied? Why do, why do we not pursue more of Him? Why is this tough to find in Christians? And I don't know that I have all the answers to that. I honestly don't. But I think Paul touches on something here that many times we enter into relationship with God and we love him and we're amazed by his salvation and we, click, and we quickly exchange it for a, a list. Thank you, God, I love you so much. Now I've got to go clean up my own life. And that's so detrimental. And you find that these men, they want him. They want to know him. And, and I have to ask the question, do we? And perhaps you do. Perhaps you would say, Pastor Mark, I, I'm in the best spot and I am, I am most closely related to and in tune with God than I ever have been in my whole life. And if so, great. Keep on pursuing. I hope this fans the flame. But if you're, if you're not there, why aren't we? Why aren't, why aren't we pursuing? Why aren't we longing for him? Since Christ is infinite, it would only make sense that we will continue to grow and to learn and to find ever-increasing, deeply satisfying relationship with him if we will push in, that we, that we won't ever find a point where I've plateaued, I've got all of Jesus that I need, and there's no more to be had. That, that just doesn't exist. I, personally, before I see Jesus face-to-face, -face, I want to know him heart-to-heart. -heart. I want to have relationship with him. And I think for me, this is just, I'm just going to bottom shelf it and make it completely hard and just 
as practical as I can for you. For me, what helps me is to think on and to chew on two questions. Question number one, and not that I'm perfect, that's this, at all. But question number one is what stirs your affections for Jesus? What is it that stirs you to want to know him more? To want to pursue him? Now to be clear, it will... It should lead you back to and include prayer and his word and worship. Like those are kind of non-negotiables. But there's, every relationship is meant to be personal and intimate and unique. And, and you understand this if you have children. Our oldest son, Brennan, I have a relationship with Brennan and I love him unconditionally. And my wife has a relationship with Brennan and she loves him unconditionally. But my relationship with Brennan is slightly different than my wife's relationship with Brennan, right? And the same thing with our walk with the Lord. Your walk with the Lord is going to be slightly unique and different in, in different ways. There are things that will stir your affections for him that won't stir my affections for him. And there will be things that stir my affections that won't stir your affections. But for me, I'll just be like completely open and transparent and honest. There, there are many things that stir my affections for the Lord that I want to pursue. And weird things even. Dead old theologians stir my affections for Jesus. I read what they have to say and it's like they just picked a verse and they had no TV and no Pandora and nothing vying for their time and they just begin to chew on that for like three weeks straight and then they put the pen to paper and they write something that's so beautiful and like, I want that. Like, I want what you just said. I want what you're discovering there. For me, this is really weird. Graveyard stir my affections for Jesus. Not a joke. College, my number one prayer closet was a graveyard three blocks from the college campus. I would go there. Graveyards are always peaceful and tranquil, it, it, unless there's like a, a gun salute or something going off. But by and large, they're peaceful and tranquil. And you don't have people, there's not, you know, buzz and, and hubbub going on. But I would go there and pray and I, call me weird. But I would look at, at a grave, I would find someone who lived 20 years or 30 years or something like that, and it would remind me of my mortality. It would remind me that this life is short, and I'm going to stand before God one day, and I'm going to give an account. And it would push me into thinking about and dwelling on and wanting to pursue relationship with God. You may find graveyards to be utterly spooky, and you don't want to go anywhere near them. It was normally day. It wasn't nighttime, to be clear. But you may find them spooky. That's fine. But for me, that pushes me into relationship. For me, Yo-Yo Ma's cello music allows me to, it pushes me into relationship. It's something that stirs my affections that I oftentimes will read my Bible or I'll pray with soft cello. Maybe you throw in a little bit of violin or a little bit of piano in the background that, that it stirs me and it's to the point where I put that in my earbuds, in my ears, and all of a sudden it starts to make me think about different experiences and times where I've communed with the Lord and I've walked with him and, and all of a sudden that, that helps me in a weird way. It may be a completely different list for you. You may like to break out a guitar and strum the hymn book. I don't know. For me, heaven would be like, shut up. We don't need that. Like, it's, it's no good. Whatever it is, that's fine. I'm not trying to put my list on you, but there are things that stir me and, and cause me to want to press in and pursue and, and to find him. And whatever that is, know those things and pursue those things and, and dwell on those things and celebrate those. And on the flip side, you have to ask yourself the second question, what robs your affection for Jesus? What what snatches away your heart for him? For me, there's not much major stuff anymore. If, if I leave out of here and someone offers me heroin today, it's probably not going to be an issue. 
Like major stuff really, it doesn't, it doesn't plague me much anymore. I'm not going to make a pros and cons list for, you know, if I should do drugs today. Like, next two hours could be interesting. Pro. Lose my job. Wife would really be ticked. And I could die. You know, con. that's not going to, I don't need that. For me, it's, it's morally neutral stuff. It's stuff that you really can't find a verse and tell me it's wrong. It's morally neutral. But there are things that are morally neutral that I can't find a scripture to say you shouldn't do this, but I know that it robs my affection of Jesus. If I follow sports too closely, it robs my affection for Jesus. I love sports, and I, I watch some, I follow some, but I, I cannot follow it too closely. I got to a point a number of years ago where I decided, you know what? I'm not going to let a 20-year-old performance on the basketball court ruin my day. That sounds silly, but it was, it was that way. My team lost, and, and my wife is walking on eggshells, and my day is ruined until the, I go to sleep and get over it because my team lost. That's silly. It's goofy. If you love sports that much, it's silly and goofy for you too. I hate to say it. I enjoy it. I watch them, but I'm not going to become so enamored by them to where I have to at all costs. You know, it does, you know the, they switch the games around, and now the game's Sunday morning, so I'm not going to go to church because I love sports so much. Like, that just... I, I can get bent out of shape on that if I follow them too closely. For me, and, and probably for many of you, I can't watch too much TV. And that's not to say that I have a handle on this and I'm perfect at it. But I find in my own life, and I'm not telling you that all TV is wicked and go beat it with a baseball bat and that's a demon box. Like, I'm just, I'm not that guy. But there are things on TV, I can watch Blue Planet or Planet Earth, and I'm like, God's creation is amazing, and I love it. It's a great TV show that makes me think about God and His wonder. But if I watch too much TV, I become numb to holy things. And if I'm not careful and I watch certain things on TV, I'm giggling at things that the Lord called wicked. And very carefully, I'm sucked into this trap that's robbing my affection for Jesus. If I sleep in too long, I get up, I'm in a rush, I start a day of task, 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 and I get to the end of the day, and there was no pause, there was no time out to spend some time with Jesus you may have a completely different list. I don't know. But you have to ask yourself, what is it that stirs me for Jesus? Follow it. What is it that robs me of Jesus? Run away from it. Even if it's not necessarily wrong, it could be morally neutral, but run away from it. And I'm, I'm not trying to place my list on you, and, and you can't place yours on me, but pursue those things. This is what Paul is saying. I want him. I want to know him. I want more of him. I want relationship with him. I want intimacy with him. I want to, I want to dwell in and pursue Jesus. Take Hebrews 12, that we should lay aside the sin and the weights with that so easily beset us. That there are sinful hindrances. There are also some hindrances that aren't sinful. And put them to the side, throw them off, and say, I want to passionately pursue you. I want more of you. If it's been a while since you've been there, since you've said to yourself, I want more of you, I want to pursue you, then allow Philippians 3 to be a breath of fresh air. Don't live your life by, here is my right and wrong, I better keep my list. Live your life by, I want to know you, I want to worship you, I want to love you, I want the parts of me that don't to die. And replace them with a heart that fully loves you and wants you.
I hope that you're there. If you're not, I hope that you want to be there. At the very least, pray, Lord, I want to want you. I can't honestly say that I do, but I want to want you. But I hope that you do. And if you do, get what Paul's saying. This is how Christianity starts. It's faith in Jesus and what he's done for us and awing in it and loving it. And it's how it's supposed to go every day thereafter. It's supposed to be, I want him. There's excellency of the knowledge of Jesus. There is surpassing greatness. There is something beautiful and awesome in knowing him and pursuing him. And I pray that you will today, tonight, this week, that you'll pursue him.